This episode is brought to you by Medibank. One thing you have to be okay with if you're wanting to pivot into different areas is, as you know, you have to be okay with really sucking at new things for a long time before you get better. You have no idea how much you can grow and change, even the pathways that literally at the physical level of your brain throughout your life through effort and practice. I really, really believe that all emotions exist to tell us very important things. And I actually don't see a, any difference between a positive or a negative emotion. I don't, think, I don't think it's helpful to categorize them. I think it's much more useful to just think of all emotions as being valid and useful. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfillment along the way. This week's is a guest I haven't caught up with properly in a long time, and I'm sure you'll hear how much we both enjoyed connecting again. We only started recording after about 45 minutes of chatting, and I still could have kept going forever. M. Toner is such a special little sausage, combining the precision of scientific psychological study with the depth of mindfulness and meditation practice. She is a nationally registered clinical psychologist with a research background in positive psychology and behavioral neuroscience, but also a meditation and mindfulness teacher, speaker, musician and music producer, and Medibank ambassador. She had me not only smiling and laughing, but also reflecting deeply on the workings of our mind, my experiences with psychology, and the concept of positivity. Her ability to put you completely at ease makes it unsurprising that I share a few things here I hadn't shared before about my therapy journey, which you all know is pretty hard given what an overshare I am. I hope she sparks some reflection in you guys, as she does every time for me. Em, welcome to the show. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I am so well. Guys, we have just spoken for literally half an hour before we press record because it's been so nice <laughs> to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> so the very first question I usually ask is a bit of an icebreaker, but I've added just a simple how are you to start off because 2020 is a total mess and especially for people like you in the industry of caring for others and helping all of us through our discomfort. I think it's easy to forget that you guys also need us to touch base. So how are you? Uh, thanks for checking in, Sarah. But I'm, I'm actually really well. I am up here in Byron Bay in New South Wales, and we've been very, very lucky, you know, averting what you're dealing with down in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> so I feel like I've been very busy, surprisingly, with, you know, a lot of people needing support at this time. But I am actually more interested in, yeah, how you, you're doing. And we, <laughs> we, we briefly chatted about that before, but being into, you know, week second lockdown, yeah, uh, I can't imagine. It yeah. is strange, strange times. But guys, we actually just had such an interesting chat and I think we'll probably work our way back to it in WayTA and your journey. And I really, really want to touch on some of the concepts of positive psychology and how that interacts with our day to day. But just I feel very, very grateful that because of being in business, 
we have this head start on sort of not distress tolerance, but uncertainty tolerance. Like we're a bit more used to the fluctuations in stability of income and and stability of routine. And that's set us in really good stead to be used to this kind of weird, you can't have a five-year plan. You can't even have a five-minute plan. Corporate me would not have coped at all. (laughs) (laughs) Business me is used to this. (laughs) (laughs) And strange also, I think we were all on an even playing field before all the different states, whereas now seeing friends, you know, you mentioned before you have a lot of family in Melbourne Mm -hmm. and the contrast between us with curfew Mm -hmm. and Byron where you can actually still sit at a cafe, even though you're distanced, you can actually sit. It's a whole other world. (laughs) Strange times. It really is. Hopefully all of you beautiful Melbourne and Victorian folk know how, um, how much everyone else is thinking of you. Oh, well, you're doing some very, very exciting things that I think will help a lot of us out in this time. <laughs> <laughs> but before we kick off, the actual icebreaker is just to ask everyone what the most down-to-earth thing is about them, and particularly with people like yourself who we can very easily put on a pedestal as being like having everything together all the time and you know, <laughs> you're helping us all with our crazy mess. It's like she could never, ever have a breakdown. Of course she's like totally together all the time. What's something really relatable about you? I love this question because it's such and I love your podcast because it just normalizes humanity so well you know like there's something beautiful about normalizing the things about us that maybe we would attach some shame to or attach embarrassment to but (laughs) put it out into the real world it, it removes the shame and it's just such a great it's such a good combination but anyway for me I mean I don't even know where to start with that question I mean where to begin I was I have a mind that overpowers me every day I um, have to wrangle it in regularly. Of late, you know, every so often it gets to two o'clock in the afternoon and I just go to bed <laughs> because I just, you know, just a bit overwhelmed by the state of the world. You know, I, I, <laughs> I mean, we could go back to, I'm sure we're going to go cover childhood, but I definitely wasn't the coolest uh, kid. I had glasses, I had braces, I had all oh. the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was quite shy as a kid as well. Even if I, if there was a guy that I really liked and I kind of fancied them, I like would struggle to like look into their eyes. <laughs> Oh my God, Em, you're such a cutie. <laughs> so oh. that, that was little Em and so I've gotten over a little bit of that now. But um, I you know, have the same mind that you do, that we all do, and it, it is a really difficult one to wrangle, especially in 2020. Yes. Oh my gosh. I think our minds are our greatest weapon and also our most difficult, not enemy, but just adversary to go up against sometimes. And mm. it's incredibly, incredibly reassuring to know that even people who are teaching others how to sort of wrestle with their mind do have days where, you know, especially right now, I've had days I had actually, this is so interesting that this is the timing of this interview. Mm. Last night had the first panic attack, woke up in the middle of the night with the first one I've had in months and months with no apparent stimulus, but just I think the accumulation of just a lot of difference and change. And On days like that, I knew that something was coming yesterday afternoon because at about, yeah, about two or three, I was like, I'm calling it, going back to bed. Like nothing (laughs) nothing productive is really happening right now. So you just got to do that when your body and your mind are telling you that that's all you're going to achieve that afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's actually an incredibly courageous act of self-compassion. Yes. To put yourself to bed. At two o'clock in the afternoon and cry or, you know, do whatever you need to do because you're actually meeting your need in that moment. And I think it's so nice, like 
having to be at home has actually almost allowed us to be more self-compassionate because when you're in the office or when you're out in the world, you can't, you know, meet your needs all the time. And, you know, obviously if you've got kids, it's 50,000 times harder. I don't have any. And, you know, that, that makes things a lot easier, especially at this point. But I do think there's something incredibly courageous about meeting your need and listening to your emotion and allowing yourself to experience it. Yeah. I love that reminder as well, that at different times of the day and different times of the week, those needs are going to look really, really different. And I used to live in a world, and I think this is why I didn't thrive physically there in, you know, corporate was because I forced myself to just perform at the same level at the same time every day, regardless of what was going on with my cycle or what was going on in my personal life. And I just expected this monotony and stability of emotion that just isn't, it's not humanity. That's not how humans work. And it, it is hard. I used to sometimes sort of lock myself in the bathroom for a little while just to have a moment. And now I understand that a lot more, what I was doing. But yeah, it's been really, really interesting to get, to have a bit more flexibility at home, mm. to sort of go with how you're feeling. Mm. And to only have, you know, that bathroom to hide in. <laughs> yeah, suboptimal. I get it. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> So the first section is called Your Way TA, which is really tracing back every chapter that you've been through and not just the one that we often encounter you in to look at Childhood M and what your interests were and sort of how your decisions and the different sliding doors moments and how everything has really led to where you are now. And you're one of those wonderful, wonderful people who have managed to unite seemingly very, very different interests into one cohesive, beautiful today and career and now. So take us back to super shy M. What, were you, <laughs> what did you think you wanted to be back then? Ooh, it's a very good question. I have this memory of going to see The Lion King with my mum. <laughs> So cute. And they were always super cute. And there was all these little kids on stage and they were all acting and being, you know, performing on stage. And I remember just in that moment, I would have been like five or something. I remember thinking, wow, I want to be just like them. I want to be on stage. And it was interesting. From a shy kid. Um, Yeah, yeah. I desperately wanted to be, yeah, exactly, the kind of performer. And I, you know, at school I, I did lots of musicals and plays and it wasn't necessarily acting itself that I wanted to do. It was more connecting with an audience. It just Mm. felt like the most magic thing you could possibly do. And, you know, I did a lot of debating and and public speaking at school. And one of the other peak moments I remember, it was high school, I think, was giving a talk. We had something called house public speaking. I don't know if you did anything like that. Yeah, yeah. It was like a competition. And I was only in year nine. I think I was was quite young. And um, I just, I was speaking in front of the assembly I kind of, it was meant to be a serious talk, but I'd kind of turned it into a stand-up comedy routine. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was a video out there somewhere of this. I know. <laughs> I was talking about the, um, the ridiculousness of the English language, things like flammable and inflammable meaning the same thing. Blows my mind. I know. What? <laughs> you know, a sign saying, watch your head. Well, you know, how do you do that? You know, it's quite hard. I love that your brain goes there. How do I yeah. watch my own face? <laughs> This is what little M was thinking about as a new nine. But anyway, so I gave this talk and I literally had this peak experience. They call it in psychology, positive psychology, we call them peak experiences, where I, I kind of experienced this whole room of people laughing with me. Yeah. And for a shy kind of kid that, that didn't, wasn't really cool, it was like the coolest thing that could ever happen. 
and it was interesting. I kind of, a few little things like that happened, but I kind of ignored that. And it was only later in life that I realized that kind of that element of performance was really important to me. Wow. And I think it's so interesting how much that stood out to you, even though like you'll always remember that. It's not the thing that necessarily we would think looking from the outside was something that changed everything for you, but how wonderful. And I think it's also Mm -hmm. reassuring for a lot of people to hear that you can be a shy kid and then train yourself to public speak. Like you can actually train yourself out of those sort of introversion feelings to then actually enjoy connecting with an audience and public speaking. Yeah. But then how did you choose psychology? Yeah, <laughs> yeah this hasn't helped the picture yet. Yes. So it's funny because um, my brothers, or I've got two older brothers and they always knew what they wanted to do from like the youngest of age ever. My eldest brother wanted to be a quantum physicist and he would read maths and physics books all day long. And um, he eventually ended up becoming a quantum physicist and then went on to do quantum computing. And now he runs his own awesome tech startup called Draftable. But my my middle brother, Tim, he wanted to be like in the business world. And it was so funny because literally I have this memory of him being, he would have been about eight and I would have been about five. And he basically hired me to be his secretary. (laughs) (laughs) So the problem is, what does an eight-year-old need a secretary for? Like, not much. Yeah. So... So I would go into his room and I was so excited that because I wasn't allowed in his room. So I'd be allowed into his room and all I could do would be like sharpen his pencils. Oh, my God, that is so cute. <laughs> so this is your introduction to the secretarial world. Wonderful. Yes, exactly. And I was like, right, well, I don't want to be a secretary. But, but I guess the point of the matter, the point of it all is that my brothers knew what they wanted and I never did. Yeah. So I, I never knew what I wanted to do. And so at school I, and at uni, I really just... Because I didn't know, I, I knew what I didn't want to do, and that was a lot of things. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I kind of did the broadest degree possible. I did an arts science degree and a diploma of music. I tried to cover all my bases. Nice. Then I just kept studying subjects that interested me, and I ended up sort of falling into um, majoring behavior and neuroscience, which was really cool. I thought it was really, really cool. It is really, really cool. It's fascinating. Yeah. So that was fun. But then I realized, oh, I haven't really thought this out, but if I'm going to do an honors or go further in the field of behavior and neuroscience, then I'm going to be working with sort of rats in, <laughs> in laboratories and like cells. And I was like, I do not want to do that. You know, I actually, I want to work with people. Mm. And that's when I realized, oh, I think I better major in psychology as well. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Again, wonderful, wonderful examples, even just within your own family, of the fact that some people do wake up one day, know what they want to do, go and do it, and it's the most fulfilling thing ever. Most of us st- like just still don't have a clue, really. I yes. mean, <laughs> <laughs> But I also think that reminds me of, I don't know if you saw that my book um, is about to come out in a couple of weeks, and I actually just got so copies exciting. last night. Yeah, it's so exciting. But one of the realizations I had as I was writing was that decision-making happens on two levels, macro and micro. And I used to be really dominated by the macro. Like I want that title. I want that broad subject matter. I want to be a lawyer because it sounds fun. I want to go and do this opportunity. You know, I thought I wanted to go and study at Oxford or Cambridge because on a macro level, that's an incredible opportunity. Mm. But I didn't ever think of the micro like day to day Do I want to move countries? Do I want to live on campus? Do I want to keep studying and do all the things that that requires? And 
it's a very different basis of making decisions. But, you know, on a broad scale, you wanted to do behavioral science. But when you looked at what that actually meant, you were like, oh, yeah. totally different. <laughs> That's such a good point. And, and half the time you don't have a clue what a job actually entails until you start doing it. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize that to be a lawyer, I had to read like, you know, <laughs> thousands of books of, I mean, I still don't really know what lawyers do, but I'm pretty sure you do a lot of reading. <laughs> oh, me either. I don't know. I started a business when I was a lawyer, so I don't know what actual lawyers do. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> and so you did end up going into clinical psychology at the Epworth and practicing in clinic with people and sort of developing that side of your career. When did you start to agitate for something a bit broader than just clinical psychology. I love that you have that background and that you started with really strong foundations but very quickly saw how much broader you wanted your sort of mission and legacy and, and people interactions to be. Mm. Well, actually, that all started before I even started my master's in clinical psychology. Oh. So, yeah, it was an interesting one. So I actually knew when I was doing it that I didn't want to be a clinical psychologist in terms of the typical psychologist giving therapy every day. And I, yeah. I knew that I, I wasn't really cut out for that work and and that it didn't kind of, I found it really rewarding and incredibly meaningful. But for me, I think the best psychologists are ones that are not just doing it to help people, but doing it because they're genuinely, intrinsically fascinated by people and their stories. Mm. And I'm interested in people, but I'm not deeply fascinated enough to make that my life's work. Yeah. And so I kind of really, it's an unusual thing to do, but I actually did my clinical master's because I really actually wanted to be a better friend, a better partner, a better mum, a better person. And I wanted to be able to help people. And I know that's a strange reason to do eight years of, well, it was, only, <laughs> it was two years of study, but yeah, doing that to be a better person and realizing it was an incredibly good degree to be able to then go on and do anything that worked with people. Mm. So I could really use this understanding of people in every single part of, you know, so many different different worlds. And, and so that's why, why I studied it. It was very hard because a lot of the time I was thinking, why am I doing this? I don't want to, you know, this is tough. And then a friend of mine said to me, Emily, you just don't exist in the world yet, the type of person that you want to be. And I was like, oh, wow, that's true. I can be the I can be a clinical psychologist that that you know doesn't exist yet in in a way that runs workshops and gives talks and does does all sorts of different things around positive psychology, which is actually what I'm really fascinated by. And the beautiful thing is that while I was studying my my masters, I learned I started to learn about positive psychology, which is really just the science of of happiness, the science of well being. And I learned about mindfulness, and I was like, aha, this is liquid gold. I could literally spend my whole life working with this. And so that's what I uh, went on and did. Oh my gosh. What excellent, excellent advice is that, that you're just, your position just doesn't exist in the world yet because the world moves so fast that you can't expect the same career options to be available when you start a degree to when you finish it. It's just now you can be anything, anytime, ever. And I also love that I think we are so attuned to instant gratuity these days that we expect that, you know, I want to be X, I want my life to be X, so I want Y to give that to me like tomorrow. But I love that you knew before you even started clinical psychology that it wasn't to be that thing forever. It was a stepping stone to the next chapter. And that involves much more patience than I think any of us are used to having in the 
this day and age of like, tomorrow I'm going to start a business. But obviously it gave you so much to then move into what you do now. And I, I think that's a really good reminder for people that some things are a long game, but they're worth it. They're worth that wait. Mm. If you can keep focused on why you're doing it and not sort of bail out halfway because you're like, oh, it's just taking too long. I love that you stayed with it for eight years because now look what it's allowed you to do. Thank you. Yeah, thank <laughs> it, it definitely is a long game. And and um, I think that's one of my, the way my, my mind works, it's very strategy-based. I'm always kind of strategizing where things are going long-term and kind of but yeah, it, at the same time, it was quite difficult for those few years of, of, and I learned a lot and it was incredibly meaningful, but it was quite difficult to to work in that clinical world for me, the, the way that my personality is. I'm incredibly sensitive. I take on energies of other people very easily. Mm. You know, back then I didn't have very clear boundaries. Yeah, it was it was tough. It was tough going. Yeah, we. I actually had a um, a good friend who's a psychiatrist was on recently, and his studies. I think he knew from the beginning what he wanted to do, but he said, "You do." I mean, in a fifteen year uni pathway, you know, a lot of us. If you start a business, you can start a business tomorrow. Like the pathway can be very, very fast to sort of gratification. Mm. Whereas there's so much patience involved in something that's that technical. But you do. You just you just have to wait it out knowing that the reward at the end is worth it. And I think a lot of people do find themselves in jobs now that they're like, so not so unhappy, but just sort of like waiting, 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 like what's going to get me through? And you just have to see everything as a stepping stone because nothing is a waste of time. It will always set you up well if you take that attitude that it will set you up best for the next the next chapter. Mm-hmm. So can you talk us through what positive psychology actually is as a branch in and of itself and how, you know, you mentioned boundaries. I think that's something I, it's brand new terminology to me, <laughs> but incredibly, incredibly important. Something else that I love that I've read you say is, you know, building techniques to diffuse from your mind and give it less power over you. And I think we all kind of understand what psychology is broadly, but positive psychology particularly and your new branch of ecological psychology as well is also something that's really, really fascinating. So can you give us just a bit of a lay of the land? Great. Well, I mean, yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I think even just knowing what the difference between a psychologist and a psychotherapist and a psychiatrist is, is quite helpful mm. because a lot of people don't know. And and even when you, you, when I was signing up to become a psychologist, I was like, well, hang on, what, what is this exactly? <laughs> what am I doing here? So, you know, the psychiatry branch is definitely um, medical based and, and um, you do a, a medical degree and then you move into psychiatry and psychology is, um, psychology operates on something called a biopsychosocial model so bio meaning sort of looking at like the biological part of it psycho meaning looking at the cognitive um, the mind sort of thought part of it and social acknowledging that humans operate within social systems and within our environment and so acknowledging the environment is hugely a part of of looking at at the whole at the whole situation Mm. and then in the field of psychology, there's lots of different there's lots of different areas, but the one that really made sense to me was the field of positive psychology. And so, positive psychology is I think the term itself kind of gets in the way of what it's actually about because it's actually not about being positive all the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's really not. Yeah, yeah. So if you're trying to aim for that, then it, you're actually ignoring the richness of all the depth of emotion that we have as human beings and. I really, really believe that all emotions exist to tell us very important things. And I actually don't see any difference between a positive or a negative emotion. I don't think 
I don't think it's helpful to categorize them. I think it's much more useful to just think of all emotions as being valid and useful. Mm. Um, you know, anger tries to help us to take action for what we believe in. Sadness tries to help us to reattach to something that we've lost. You know, all these emotions are very, very useful yeah. um, if, we, if we use them. So going back to positive psychology, it's really just the study uh, of happiness or how to live the best possible life. It's a huge field with lots of different research in it, but, but the research I looked at in my master's was looking at um, character strengths. So the field of clinical psychology is interested in what's wrong with you and the field of positive psychology is interested in what's right with you. Wow, that's amazing. I've never heard it worded that way, but that's such a, a powerful shift in perspective. Yeah. And I love what you said about the sort of whole spectrum of emotions because I often fall into the trap of thinking because I am such a yay-focused person and happiness, not in and of itself, but just happy feelings and fulfilment and positivity is something that's very on brand for me and something I really identify with and want to share with others. But more and more I've realised that the negative side to that is just the flip side of a coin. It's not a bad thing. It's in fact actually makes the highs higher. It gives you diversity. It makes you recognize the good. It gives it's all the growth opportunities come from the discomfort rather than the comfort zones. And so a big part of CZA is the shitty bits yeah. because of that. And I think embracing them rather than trying to push them down all the time has been enormously positive for me from a psychology perspective. Yeah. I think I think you've actually just hit the nail on the head. That is exactly kind of what the planet needs moving forward as well. We need to recognize that, you know, sitting in things like grief and loss is incredibly useful because the opposite of kind of moving through that process is just being in denial. Yeah. And we don't really have we don't have much more time to be in denial so so actually you know processing emotion and seeing all of it as valid especially the negative parts is quite an enlightened way of of, of being i think yeah this is something i've never actually shared with anyone but my psychologist it's interesting you said about the difference between uh psychiatrist psychologist psychotherapist i was like i know the difference because i have one of each <laughs> 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 but my psychologist once said to me, she's like, you come in here and you're masking from the very first minute because you're so wrapped up in your identity being positive that even to me, you smile when you deliver bad news. You'll just be like, but it's okay. And I think a lot of us are in, without consciously knowing we're denying the negative, we are forcing like, I have to be positive, I have to be grateful. And even in this time in particular, where we're all relativizing our trauma and uncertainty, you know, really that issue has really come to the forefront of our minds of like, how we process negative emotions, do we feel like we can be sad, you know, what is our happiness compared to others and psychology and positive psychology has really helped me find comfort in the spectrum of my emotions through this time. Wow. I really, really appreciate you sharing that because that really resonates with me actually. I'm very similar to you. I have a very sort of cheery disposition and, you know, I, I find that that it's actually very easy to put on that, you called it a mask, I think it's a great word, to put on that demeanour. Mm. Um, I can do that quite easily. Um, even if I'm feeling crap, I can really do that. And, and yet at the same time, it's kind of denying something within us, you know. And, and I, I think it's fascinating and I think there's something in that, especially for women, 
Um, I was actually having a conversation with my psychologist yesterday. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> while Woo! we're at it. Yeah, everybody's doing it. And <laughs> all the cool you? kids. <laughs> all the cool kids. And she was saying that she's been working with, she's brilliant. She was saying she's actually found that men have struggled a lot more than women in this lockdown. And she said they've struggled because they've been told what to do. And actually, if you think about it, they haven't really been told what to do much before. Whereas women, we seem to be better at being told to stay home, wear a mask, do these things. And it actually, if you think about it, we've been told what to do since we were born. Yeah. You know, don't walk down that dark alley. We've been told. We've actually been kind of, we're used to getting told what to do in some ways. And I mean, this is a huge generalization, but I just thought that was such a fascinating realization. That's so interesting. This is why I actually, if I went back to study anything, I think it would be along the lines of behavioral science or psychology because I get so fascinated. This is why I do the podcast because humanity and the brain and decisions and stuff fascinates me so much. And I think another thing men have struggled with a lot in this lockdown is, and again, mass generalization, but I feel like women are a little bit more practiced at finding their value and the value of each day internally Mm. because we talk to ourselves so much because we have periods and we have to once a month have to get through just feeling shit for no reason and pushing through it and still seeing the next day is worth getting up for. Whereas I think men get their well-being and their sense of self from very external factors that now have just been taken away and they're not used to internalizing all their feelings and still finding that they have value and they're not doing the stuff. Mm. Nick struggled with that a lot because his touch points are gym makes him feel mentally well, Mm. leaving the house to do work makes him feel productive and all those things now that he can't do them. I'm used to not being able to do them because once a month I can't do anything. Right, right. Yeah. That's so interesting. We we need to get a man on here to... uh, To validate our hypotheses. (laughs) (laughs) A quick word, lovely people, before we continue today from our partner in Yay Medibank about their wonderful holistic wellbeing platform, Live Better at Home. This year has been a hugely challenging one for so many of us, so we need all the help we can get to look after our health and happiness. With Live Better at Home, you get access to a wealth of free activities and recipes from wellness experts so you can stay healthy at home, something we couldn't need more of at the moment and that I've been making great use of down here in Victoria over the past few weeks. Live Better at Home has been built around the pillars of eat, move and feel, all of which are essential aspects of seizing your yay and of which a daily dose never goes astray. Do yourself a favour and visit medibank.com.au slash livebetteratthome. And the other thing I think is so interesting is ecological psychology because I hadn't heard that term before I heard it from you, but it makes so much sense that there's a mass overwhelm at global warming, the state of the planet, uh, you know, the human impact and sustainability. And it, if you really engage in the stats, a lot of the world is incredibly overwhelming and maybe bigger than our brains are able to comprehend. And that I think leads to a lot of anxiety and and yeah, and overwhelm. So talk us through how you discovered that as a subset of psychology in itself and then not maybe how you treat people, but what 
anyone else who's struggling with that at the moment might find useful. Definitely. So I used my experience of of positive psychology and mindfulness and I kind of went into the corporate world and I I ran a lot of workshops and talks and courses. And then two years ago, I moved up to Byron Bay. And when I moved here, I am just, I became surrounded by activists and by eco-warriors and by earth mothers and by people who just genuinely are so passionate about preserving our oceans and our, our planet. And it was almost impossible for me not to be, you know, immersed in that world and become absorbed in, in, in all this thinking. Mm. And it also was a very confronting time because I actually did a lot of research and I started to really open my eyes up to what's happening you know, environmentally, you know, we're in the sixth mass extinction crisis. We're having 200 species become annihilated of, of animal or plant every day now. And oh this gosh. has been absolutely masked by the COVID <laughs> situation of late, but it's incredibly overwhelming. And I spent pretty much most of the start of 2019 quite sort of in, in a state of grief, mm. in a state of grief for the planet. I just, I was incredibly lucky and I was privileged that I actually had time to allow myself to experience it. You know, yeah. like I, you know, if I had a family, if I had a really busy job, then I wouldn't have been able to, I would have had to just ignore it and keep going. But I was very grateful and lucky that I actually had time to experience it and to move through it. And as a result of experiencing um, that feeling, I couldn't help but want to do something. And so what I, what I kind of did was I had this urge to create something from my um, knowledge of positive psychology and mindfulness and and behavioral psychology um, to create something that would help me get through it and potentially help others along the way. You would think at that point that you would probably go and do some research and um, (laughs) learn about some things. I didn't. I just threw myself into creating this um, 10-day meditation course that is now up on Insight Timer. Oh! Yeah, it's called Climate Change, um, and it's all about helping people overcome hopelessness and fear and move into motivated action for the earth. It's not really just about climate change. It's really more about the environment. It's about overcoming this hopelessness that we feel around us about our planet. And as I created that, I, I then started putting it out into the world, and then I realized, oh, hang on, this is a field. There's a whole field here. It's called ecological psychology. I was like, oh, right. I didn't discover this. Oh, crap. (laughs) And I was like, I think I've just moved, I've just pivoted into ecological psychology. And that's the beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur. You can pivot. You can go, right, well, I don't know anything about ecological psychology, but I do know a lot about other parts of psychology and I think a lot of it's very relevant. And so Mm -hmm. ecological psychology is really just the study of how to move people into motivated states of action for the planet. That's so interesting. I'm like a sucker for a niche community. Like I just (laughs) get obsessed with finding out everything about really specific interest areas that otherwise in your day-to-day life you don't even know exist. But it's so interesting that there's a whole field specifically on this problem because I think it is enormously relevant as our world goes through such big changes. And so, so wonderful that you have been able to move so much of your experience and wisdom 
online, which you have continued to do in two other very, very exciting things. So before we move to the next section, I would love to hear about firstly your work with Medibank and the Live Better Hub, because I think at the moment, particularly Victorians need all the online help and support and digital hugs and tools that we can get. Uh, And your gratitude meditation has been absolutely saving me. Oh, good. (laughs) And secondly, the other thing that is launched tomorrow that I'm very, very excited to hear about. Amazing. Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. I know. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, we haven't seen each other in a long time. It's been years, many, many years. I know. Uh, We were talking earlier and you were like, we were just chatting away and I was like, should we just press record maybe? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, nah, let's just keep chatting. (laughs) But this is why I love these because you don't have, and this is, I would love to actually do a study even though I'm obviously not studying psychology, I have all these random ideas all the time for theses that I could do one day. Oh, my goodness. My nerdy side. And one of them would be the psychology around conversations on podcasts because we don't have an audience while we record, even though it's going to an audience. The way that you answer questions in such an unfiltered way, like I just have chatted as if I'm chatting to a friend because that's literally what I'm doing, just chatting to a friend, forgetting that then it gets published But when people listen to it, they're listening as if they were here. Mm. And it makes for such an authentic chat because you aren't filtered through, oh, my God, there's people listening. But then later I'm like, oh, crap, there were people listening. (laughs) Did I really swear? (laughs) Did I really just share my therapy information? Like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Whoopsie. (laughs) Anyway, I digress. I'm so sorry. I love it. It's wonderful. That's a good thesis. I think you have the mind of a psychologist and definitely the demeanour. Just as a very quick aside, the most important thing about being a psychologist is actually your ability to make people feel comfortable around you. And that is everything. If someone feels comfortable around you in a, in a room, then then you've already got your 80% there. Mm. And you clearly have that with all your guests and everyone you meet. So I think you'd make a great psychologist. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you're obviously <laughs> doing a very good job because I'm oversharing all over the place today. <laughs> <laughs> but back to your question. You mentioned the Medibank Live Better at Home hub. And, and look, this has been such an amazing, you know, if you'd asked me, you know, did you think you'd end up here? I would say definitely not. Back in March, just as lockdown one was commencing, I got a call from the team at Medibank and they said, look, we know it's short notice, but um, we've got this initiative. It's called Live Better. It's designed to, you know, support the health of well and well-being of all of us. And we're trying to help Australians like eat, move and feel better. And they said, but we're a bit worried about people's mental well-being in lockdown and, and we're wondering and we, so we're creating this thing called Live Better at Home. So it's really all just designed to help people inside their house manage the, the craziness. And they said, you know, we were wondering if you'd like to jump on board and guide a daily meditation um, every weekday morning. We do it on Facebook Live. We can just do it for a couple of weeks just to keep people's spirits up. <laughs> and I was like... I live in the country. I have terrible (laughs) Wi-Fi. (laughs) If we can make that work, then yes, I would absolutely love to do that. My Wi-Fi is still a little bit dodgy, but it kind of pulled through. Anyway, so we started, we started going, I started going live on Facebook um, back in March at 8.30 every morning. And it was meant to just go for two weeks, but the community just got so behind it, Sarah, that we ended up doing it for 
it just kept getting extended and extended. And every time it was about to end, the community would be like, can you please continue? And then we'd chat and the Medibank team would be like, all right, let's keep going. <laughs> I ended up doing it for about three months every weekday, which is huge for me because I actually, I don't think I've actually got up at the same time every day in about eight years. So <laughs> I hear. <laughs> <laughs> but it, the crazy thing was that I actually really, really, um, I started really enjoying it. And it was, for me, it was so useful to have that routine, to have something I had to show up for at 8.30. I had to get dressed at least from, you know, halfway up because they you know, they couldn't see my trackies and I had to you know brush my hair although I often didn't um eh, yeah. perfectly imperfect exactly and the beautiful thing about it was that the community just really started to come alive and I started to get you know all these people commenting and then you know they would start to someone would share that they were struggling and then other people in the thread would start you know giving them support and advice and and it just turned into this ridiculously beautiful community of, of, of beautiful souls. And it was just like almost like a kindness pandemic we'd, we'd oh, started. Oh, that's so lovely. It was, it was pretty special. And, um, and so when it came to an end, I was thinking, what are we going to do? Like we've got this beautiful community of people who are kind of relying on this morning practice to, to get them through the day. And I sort of spoke to the, the team at Medibank and they gave me my, their absolute blessing because part of their Live Better at Home initiative is also to help support small businesses. Mm. Um, and so they've got lots of different wellbeing um, videos around sort of um, yoga studios and various people working in the wellbeing space who are sending, they're sort of funding them to send in videos to support everyday Australians. And I just thought, that's so beautiful that they're, they're really trying to support these businesses to stay afloat through promoting their content. Anyway, so they said, we'd love, you know, we're so happy for you. We're so happy that, you know, this has really taken off and we'd love you to, you know, continue it. And so I've ended up having to create my own sort of online meditation platform to help continue um, support this beautiful community. So that is what you're talking about and that is what is launching tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. Oh. See, I just, I always think you never know what's around the corner. You never know what new conditions or new challenge is going to come at you that at any time can just lead to a whole new branch of your career and your life and a whole different application of your skills that you never expected if you stay open-minded to it. So tell us about the platform. So as well as being able to get, I think it's three or four different guided meditations on the Live Better Hub uh, that you can just play anytime. They're 10 minutes long. I've been absolutely soaking those up. You're also launching your own platform. Yes. So there's lots of content on the on the hub. There's sort of, there's my, some of my meditations, but I'm going to be continuing to add more and more content there throughout the year. But in terms of my platform, it's basically just an online community of people that want to come together and meditate. Um, there's sort of that, a library of content there. And we're also, I'm like thinking of ways of trying to get us together even more connected. So we're going to have a monthly, you know, Zoom catch up where we can actually oh. see videos and, and, and hang out and, you know, launching a few different things like a learn to meditate course down the track. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to just really cementing and growing that community. Oh, Em, how exciting. And tell us about your music as well. I love that you've been able to integrate music into the way that you're 
creating community and kind of tying positive psychology and music together? Yeah, well, I guess I guess through studying, you know, the science of happiness and studying. Um, so I didn't really tell you, but positive psychology has lots of different components to it. Things like character strengths, knowing your values, understanding things like growth mindset, mm. looking at meaning and purpose in life. Um, through studying these things and and very systematically applying it to my life, I managed to come to realize that that little kid that went to watch The Lion King, you know, at five actually really loves performing. And that's why I love running workshops because I actually get to be in front of a of, of stage of people. You could think of it that way and mm. share knowledge and information, but also be able to, you know, bring some humor and some um, playfulness to it. And I get really energized and alive by doing it. And one thing that people don't know about strengths or character strengths is that strengths is a strength isn't just something you're good at. A strength is something that you're good at that energizes you and that you can be incredibly authentic doing. And so although I was good at being a clinical psychologist, it didn't energize me. And I didn't feel completely authentic in, in who I was doing it. And so I kind of have pivoted my, my career to, to move into doing stuff that is more authentically to my strengths. Mm. Anyway, so I, I always had a pipe dream that I wanted to sing. It was just that, though. It was a pipe dream. I thought it would, you know, I, I sang a lot at school, but then I didn't do anything for about eight years. I dated a boy who was really, really good at guitar. And it was terrible because I would look at him and he'd be like, I'm never going to be that good. Why will I even, why would I even bother? (laughs) You know, I'm like, I give up. I gave up before I'd even started. But then I, when I was studying in my master's, I I watched this TED talk on growth mindset. Have you read much about growth mindset, sir? Yeah. I mean, not as, definitely not as much as you, but dabbled. Yeah. So you know that a growth mindset is is the opposite of a fixed mindset. Mm. And if you have a growth mindset, you really believe that everything you do can be achieved through effort and practice. And it's not that we have a fixed set of abilities that we're born with. It's not that you're a creative person or you're not a creative person or you're good at maths or you're not good at maths. You have no idea how much you can grow and change, even the pathways that literally at the physical level of your brain throughout your life through effort and practice. And when I realized, I watched this TED talk and I, I was going to open mic nights and watching people on stage and I was, I was always looking at them and I was like, oh, they're so much better than me. And I'd go home and I'd be a bit depressed. (laughs) And then I watched this TED Talk. It's by Eduardo Brincheno and it's called The Power of Belief. And he he told me about the growth mindset. And I then went back to the open mic the next week and I looked at everyone on stage and I thought, you're a lot better than me. But I just added an extra line and that was because you've practised a lot more than me. Oh, my gosh. What an antidote to imposter syndrome as well, just to add small lines to the internal dialogue like that. Yeah. And and then I, for the first time ever, I wanted to go home and practice. So I did. I went home. I learned guitar that year. I um, was terrible at it. And, and one thing, one thing you have to be okay with if you're wanting to pivot into different areas is, as you know, is to be okay with being incredibly bad at things. Like you have to be okay with really sucking at new things for a long time before you get better. Yeah. And looking a bit silly in the process, but like, yeah. who, who cares? <laughs> I look silly anyway. <laughs> so I did my, um, I, I, I wouldn't play that uh, an open mic. I was terrified, but I played my first open mic a couple of months later. And then about a year after that, the same venue invited me to play a gig. 
and they actually said that they would pay me. And I was like, what? (laughs) Wow. Oh, my gosh. And now, I mean, I don't even actually know how you squeeze all all of this in, but you're now a music producer and have your own label. What? (laughs) What is that even about? We were just nerding out before about sound editing and, like, audio waveforms and stuff. It's pretty funny, isn't it? Well, I I guess I've never wanted to do things by halves. Um, But, no, one of the things that really what I realised was when I I started to sort of perform and play music um, more professionally, I realised that, I actually didn't know anything about how to set my live sound up. And I witnessed other women in particular, girls who were incredibly talented, but then they would get their boyfriend to set up their sound. And I was like, I am not Uh going to be that person. No, thank you. And so I decided to study um, a music production and I spent a year um, at Abbey Road Institute in Melbourne and I studied. I knew nothing. I was one of, like everyone else knew like everything and I just walked in and I was like, I don't really know what a woofer is. Hi, my name's Emily. I'd like to study music production. <laughs> I love and- it. And it was honestly one of the best years of my life. I, I really came alive. I absolutely love sound I love I'm not obsessed with the tech stuff I understand it all now and I I love that I I love that I know that stuff Mm. Um, makes me really happy but I'm more inspired by just creating um, and crafting music and then I think the final piece of the puzzle was well look I now understand how to produce and and to record and to to mix music and and I the only way to to get anywhere in the music industry is actually to kind of understand the business side of things. And so I thought, I don't know if you know this, Sarah, but there's only 2% of the music industry, 2% um, of label owners and producers are female. Whoa, did not know that. It's crazy. It's probably the craziest gender gap of any profession I've heard of. Wow. And so I thought, I really want to have an impact, not just, I don't just want to be a singer-songwriter, I want to have an impact in the industry. Mm. And um, that's why I started Why in the Sky Records um, last year. Oh my gosh, Em, you are just incredible. And I love your appetite for novelty and challenge and just exploring the different things that might invigorate you. And something you said that I found really interesting that I've only just been kind of getting a grip on lately as well is with the character strengths area of study, I think a lot of us feel obliged to do things if we're good at it. If you happen to have a skill or you happen to have a talent, you want to appreciate it. And, you know, if your talents go unused, then you lose them kind of thing. But I don't think you are obliged to necessarily do things just because you're good at them because they could be a huge energy drain on you. And other things that you could become good at might be a huge energy boost for you. And that separation between obligation and pleasure and uh, energy in versus energy out has been a really big learning curve for me because you can be great at stuff that you hate, really. It's possible. (laughs) Yeah, that is such a great realisation. That is huge, Sarah, and I I imagine that you've had to move through that in order to do what you're doing now. But I had so much guilt about letting go of clinical psychology, even Mm. though I knew from the beginning it wasn't, I knew intuitively it wasn't for me. I still felt so guilty because I had so many people telling me, but you're so good at, you know, you make people feel comfortable. You're so good at doing this. And 
you really help people and you're more trained than anyone else you've got you know you've got a master's in clinical psychology from melbourne uni you should be putting that to good use out in the world and working with the toughest people that need you and um it took me a little while to let go of that guilt but when I realized that my real, you know, real strengths energize you and help you feel authentic in what you're doing, I realized that I wasn't living mm. my top strengths and then it became a lot easier. Yeah. On top of that guilt, have there been any other sort of major roadblocks or I call them nays TA, like the things that say no to your joy and get in the way of your fulfillment, like burnout as well when you're so actively pursuing so many different interests, you know, time kind of runs out to rest and rejuvenate in between? What are some of the other big challenges you've faced? Um, I definitely experienced some pretty spectacular burnout towards the end of my clinical um, work. Um, and I'd worked in a hospital setting. I worked in a private psychiatric setting. I'd worked in um, a private setting as well for a year. Um, so I, did, I probably did clinical work for about three years and I definitely experienced quite significant burnout. And unfortunately, I almost feel like it's a rite of passage for, for us in this, may, definitely in the caring professions, but maybe in, you know, Western world. You know, I don't think I've spoken to anyone who hasn't burnt out doing something. Yeah. Um, it almost feels like a rite of passage, which is a terrible, <laughs> a terrible way of, <laughs> of being. But, but it does really make you create um, very strong boundaries um, about, you know, what, what you then say yes to. I, interestingly enough, um, was offered a job straight off on the back of this burnout. I was offered a job doing my dream role. Um, it was running Australia-wide workshops for teachers in positive education, which is a combination of positive psychology and, you know, edu education. And it was with Geelong Grammar and their Positive Education Institute, which is one of the most world-renowned places for positive, it really is a leading um, place of positive education in the world. And I um, was offered the first job as a, the first staff member of the, the Positive Education Institute. Whoa. And I had applied, but I'd applied saying, look, balance is my top value for this year. And it's very important that I uphold it. So I'm applying, but I can only do part-time. And they said to me, look, and I was actually in, I was in Nepal when they called. It was crazy. I was like literally on the Himalayas and somehow <laughs> I had phone reception. <laughs> I was like, I think it's, I don't, shouldn't be able to be speaking to you right now, like on a mountain in Nepal, but apparently I can. Yeah. And, um, and Justin, who's the head of the Institute said, oh, look, well, the good news is you've got the job. The bad news is we want you full time and we can only take you full time. And because I'd studied positive psychology and because I understood that actually taking action in line with your values and your top values, knowing, firstly, knowing what your values are, is very important. Um, we often don't spend time actually delineating what our, like, I don't know, like, what is my top value for this year is a great question to be asking. And then if you're taking action in line with your values, you actually never regret it. Yes. So you will never regret a values-based decision. And Such I actually thought about it and I said, this is my dream job. And the pay was amazing. You know, I, you know, I couldn't believe it. And I actually said, this isn't in line with balance. And I actually turned it down. <gasps> and I actually, I never regretted that, that decision once. I met Justin about a year later at a conference and he said, hello, Emily, still the first person to ever turn down a job at the Institute. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that 
that's so admirable because the job was in the area of study that is about boundaries and staying true to those boundaries and what is necessary for you to be the best person that you can be and the nature of the role itself compromised that from the outset. It's so interesting that you were put in it's such crazy. a weird like position. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And and the funny thing was I, I ended up, um, you know, earning almost no money that year. I set up my own business, my own consultancy. I knew I wanted to work in the field of mindfulness. I did a lot of study in that area. I had extreme balance and I really built my well-being up and um, it was one of the best years I've had. So it's a fascinating, yeah, decision. Such an interesting anecdote for also a reminder that money and milestones and achievement in and of themselves, they're important, of course, but in and of themselves don't provide the answer to everything. And I think, I mean, Hollywood is a pretty good example of the fact that it's not a sort of passageway to joy and fulfillment, uh, which leads me to the last section, which I haven't left much time for because having <laughs> such a great time chatting. <laughs> but the last section is play TA, which is just looking at the activities that you do that are completely separate to monetary gain, progress even, things that you're not trying to be good at necessarily that don't really have a purpose other than just allowing yourself the joy of doing them. And that includes all the stuff that you're crappy at, a total beginner at, but just the things you allow yourself to do that have no, I, I kind of think if I forget what time it is when I'm doing it, that's the right kind of activity. I need at uh -huh. least, you know, an hour a day of doing something that gets me in a vortex. What yeah. are those for you? I love that. And the vortex you talk about in psychology, we call flow. Yeah. Getting into a flow state. I knew that so was a proper word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like vortex. It's good. I think this is a fascinating one for, for us entrepreneurs to, to kind of think about. And I have burnt out on purpose before, like in terms of being so purpose-driven and yeah. so excited by all the things that I'm doing that you can actually burn out doing what you love. Yes. You know, you can burn out teaching meditation, believe it or not. <laughs> I mean, that's the ultimate contradiction, right? I know. <laughs> but it's proof you can have too much of a good thing. It's not just the yeah. negative expenditure of energy that can actually tire you out. It is. And it's probably the pressure we put on ourselves to, 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 to put, show up in our best possible way for these things. Mm. But I, I actually, to be honest, music and playing guitar and singing and just creating is my absolute flow state. Mm. You know, when, if I'm doing that, I literally don't know what time it is. I miss meals. I, I'm just so happy. There's nothing that kind of fills me up more than, than just creating for the sake of, of, of writing a song or just, just playing. It's, it's like playfulness, but with, with sounds, it's, it's so fun. Yeah. And, and I have created, I've turned that a little bit into um, purpose, but, but at the same time, I'm very grateful that I have a separate career um, and so I don't rely on my music world to, to bring in any income. So, so I, there's no pressure at all for me in, mm. in the music space and that makes it incredibly easy to, to enjoy creating. Mm. Um, but apart from that, you know, my friends will say that I'm a bit of a card shark. <laughs> no, just just uh, our family grew up playing a lot of cards so that was, very, that was our family time together. Oh, my gosh, um, that's so fun. <laughs> yeah, and uh, don't get me started on table tennis. I'm pretty. Oh, um, stop! I get a little bit competitive. I can't imagine you playing table tennis. That's so much fun. 
ne? Well, just to finish up, and unfortunately you've already dished the dirt on two of them, but what are three other interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? Oh, goodness me. I know you um, could have used table tennis, but you just blew it. So, <laughs> um, I'll, uh, yeah, well, I, I am allergic to everything. Really? So, yeah, yeah. I'm allergic to gluten, to dairy, to cats, to horses. Well, I once sneezed for two hours straight on a trail ride. <laughs> oh, my God. Why, why did you get on a horse when you know you're allergic to them? <laughs> that was how I found out. Oh, no. <laughs> What a fun ride. It was the worst two hours ever. Oh, no. It was pretty funny. Pretty funny. Um, so that's one. Um, I Oh, this is, a, this is an embarrassing one. I think you'll like this one. The um, best at one. At school, you can imagine the little shy M. At school, I played the French horn. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. I did, I did. I used to carry my giant French horn onto the tram and then the boys would get on at like the second stop, the boys' school would get on and I'd try and like hide it under the under the oh, chair um, but it never, it never really worked so it's not a subtle <laughs> instrument it's really not a it's subtle, not subtle. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool and then probably my a favorite thing that I like to share with people is that my my grandmother actually my mum's mum used to be a singer on the radio wow she actually supported her whole family with her earnings um, from singing as a teenager but the sad part of the story is there that she when she married my grandfather, who was a lawyer and a, he became a judge, he didn't want his, that in that era, it wasn't like normal for, for wives to work. Mm. And so he didn't want his wife working. And so she stopped singing. <gasps> oh, well, you've kept and going for her. I honestly feel like sometimes that I, I sing for her and for all the other women that, that you know, aren't able to, to do what they love. So, Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I feel like you've inspired a lot of people just in this chat to start to follow more of what lights them up and that's more than we could ever ask for. <laughs> Very last question since I love quotes so much, what's your favourite quote? Um, well, mentioning psychologists yesterday, my psychologist actually shared a beautiful poem with me by Veronica Schofstall. I don't know if that's how you say her name. Um, <laughs> it's, it's called Comes the Dawn and there was just two lines from it that I really liked. Something like plant your own garden and decorate your own soul instead of waiting for someone to bring you flowers. Oh, that's such a lovely one. I love garden-related quotes, like about <laughs> blooming and flowers. And there's another one, um, if a flower doesn't bloom, you change the environment, not the flower. Like there's oh, so many things about gardens yeah. that just are really beautiful. <laughs> there is, yeah, yeah, and such a beautiful way to, to get out and to you know, for, for anyone stuck down in lockdown, even just the simple act of, of planting a few things on their, on their windowsill or just, mm. just putting your feet into the grass, it just, it really does change. Like it does, it does have a huge impact on our, our environment and our planet and um, it creates a lot of calm, I find, for me. Well, you create a lot of calm for me. So thanks, Em. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining and for sharing your wisdom and your story. And I'll make sure to share all the links to all of your very exciting things with everybody listening. Thanks, sir. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> 
Ah, this was such a pleasure. One of those chats that breezes by feeling like just a few minutes. I love how M takes concepts grounded in science and adds a lens of mindfulness and meditation to make them accessible and practical for us all. Her Medibank meditations have been a godsend during COVID-19, and I'll include links in the show notes for you all. If you've enjoyed listening along, please show M some love by tagging at emilytoner underscore and myself, of course, so we know what you think and can reshare. Don't forget, next Wednesday's live chits and giggles is the virtual Seize the Yay book launch. The first 100 tickets went in just one day, which is amazing, but we released 100 more so you can all tune in for a special Q&A hosted by the wonderful women at Shameless, Zara and Michelle. Not quite the launch we planned, but as you'll hear in the book, things often don't work out how you planned. Sometimes they work out better. And this way you can tune in from anywhere that you are, not just in Melbourne. Hope to see you then, lovely people. Have a great week and hope you're seizing your yay.